Any views or opinions expressed on KUR are not necessarily those of Kutztown University, Kutztown University Student Government, Kutztown University Student Services Incorporated, KUR staff and management or other affiliated organizations. Welcome back to KUR True Crime. Today we have another case study for you. I am your regular host, James. I am joined again by Linda. Hi. Um, I'm going to walk us through the case. We're going to, I'll tell you everything about it. I'll tell Linda everything about it. She's here taking notes. I'm so taking notes. I got my handy dandy notepad out, my KUR pen. I am ready to go. So we're going to, we'll unpack it all together. Uh, we'll see what happens, see where this takes us. So. Grab your snacks, buy a plane ticket, buckle up. We're going to the UK. We're going back Thursday, August 8th, 1963. That's your birthday? birthday? Happy birthday. It's August 8th, 1963. (laughs) A post office train left Glasgow late that night, stuffed with mail from both that day and the day before. It was a bank holiday the day before or the weekend before. Um, So there was a lot of extra mail in that train. The second cart carried registered mail. That means it was mostly cash in the second cart of the train. So because of the bank holiday the day before, the amount of money on the train was multiplied. Altogether, there was a couple million in cash on this one train which in today's money would be equal to between 40 and 55 million. Tell me it all goes missing. <laughs> so, yeah I, yeah, I think we know where this is going, right? So, train stops in the middle of its route to London at Sears Crossing. This is near the village of Cheddington, and it stops here around 3 a.m. And that's because a red signal was flashing through the darkness. So the co-engineer of the train, David Whitby, he climbs from the car, he approaches the light to see what the delay was about. He wants to go to the phone, call the nearest station guy, be like, what's up? He gets close and he sees there's a leather glove covering the proper signal light. And the wiring had been tampered using six volt batteries and a hand lamp the homemade contraption had managed to change the signal from green to red okay so he's like this isn't right usually there's not usually a leather glove here (laughs) there's not usually gloves up here so he's like something's up whitby turns he goes to go back to the train as soon as he starts turning around someone grabs him from behind And they say, quote, if you shout, I will kill you. The famous line, of course. So Sears Crossing is like this weird incline on either side. 
Okay, but so it's like, pretty like much a like coaster type thing where you can go up. Right, to it's, the top. it's pretty much like a ninety degree angle though. Okay, so got it's it. straight. It's a straight, straight drop. Okay, got it. Okay. So there are there's different stories here for this part. Some say Whitby was thrown over the side and that he went rolling down the hill. Others say he was accompanied back to the train. And that's very differing, but in most of the sources I read, it seems like he was accompanied back to the train and that he was dealt with along with the main conductor, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. So we're going to go under the assumption pretty much that Whitby goes back to the train with the person who grabbed him. So the person who grabs him takes him back to the train. A group of 15 men enter the front of the train. Uh, the conductor, Jack Mills, is up there in the front of the train. He tries to fight back. He's immediately outnumbered and surrounded. Yeah. Some men enter from either side. Some men enter from the front. Some men come from the car, the second car, into the front car. So they just surround him. They try to contain him. He's fighting back too much. So they take a crowbar and they whack him over the head with the crowbar. Was he dead? Did they... He doesn't die. Okay. He doesn't oh die. Gosh. But he's unconscious because they right. gave him a good whack on the head, yeah. you know. The staff in the first two cars of this train, they're forced to one end of one of the carts, and they're held in a corner by these 15 men. There's, like, the front car, like, where the conductor drives, and then there's two cars behind that. So pretty much the first three carts. Okay. They're detached from the rest of the train. The gang had brought along a man as part of their gang who was a retired train conductor because they're like okay here's the plan we're gonna disconnect the first three cars Uh this guy's gonna drive us from sears crossing because we can't move the bags of money from the train out of the sides way too much money because there's steep inclines, so they they can't efficiently go on the sides of the train to get the money out. Okay. So they want this guy to drive the train forward a couple more hundred yards to another place, uh-huh. where then they will take the money out of the train. Further along, same route, but they're going to go okay. to Britigo Bridge. There, they're going to take the money out. Okay. Problem with this. Why? The man they brought along to drive has absolutely no knowledge of this specific model of train. Oh, okay. But they're, they're not just, you know, universal. Flip a little switch, press a little button, do a little doohickey, and steer that on. No. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently not. Oh, Apparently man. My different. understanding of trains is very lackluster. Apparently there's a difference <laughs> between the trains he drove and steam trains or something okay. like that. So he doesn't, he's like, I can't do it. So are they just stuck there? So they wake up Jack Mills. (laughs) Jack Mills, the train conductor, who they just knocked out five minutes prior. And his head injury, very severe, you know, Uh, not doing well. He can't even drive it then, can he? They shake him and they're like, get up. You're going to drive us to Britigo Bridge. And they make him drive the train further to their designated spot okay the remaining 10 cars of the train yeah left behind at sears crossing and that was just mail right just sitting there 
That was passengers. That was. There were passengers. Oh my gosh! Okay, the so the first there was, two okay, cars. That was be my next question. Yeah, the first two cars are. Are the post mail, money. And then all those people. And then the rest are passengers. What? The staff and the passengers on these cars, no idea anything is happening. Because the train stops, and they're like, oh, a delay. They can kind of like see out their windows. There's like a red oh, signal, so they're no. like, oh, there's a delay. So they're just sitting there. Okay. They're like, oh, whatever. It's 3 a.m. Most of the passengers are probably asleep. Asleep, yeah. So we'll get back to them oh, in a little we'll bit. Oh, we'll get back. <laughs> Does anybody ever get back to them? Oh, my God. So That's the officers, terrifying. there are officers working in the car with most of the money in it. And they notice that their car and the other one with the mail and the engine of the train, the front are pulling away without the rest of the train. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Something's wrong. They assume that, that it was like a mistake. That like the connecting hook had broken and no one realized and that they were just like on accident leaving the passengers behind. And so they start pulling the communication cord in their car. They're pulling it, they're pulling it for like multiple minutes. They're like, hey, it's ringing a bell in the engine, being like, hey, stop the train. No one's answering, so eventually they're like, okay, the communication cord isn't working. They pop open a window, and they start screaming out the window up to the engine of the train. They're like, stop the train, stop the train. Train's not stopping. Train keeps moving. Yeah. At least the first three cars. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then they give up eventually the train stops at the predetermined meeting place and the gang gets off the train and they start unloading sacks of money there's also like a little hill along this part but it's not like straight drop so they're tossing this these sacks of money down a hill they're in okay. like a production line okay <laughs> all the way down efficient. the hill yeah please they strategize this <laughs> so they're they're taking these sacks and they're just tossing them down the hill to each other mm -hmm. at the bottom of the hill there are two range rovers and one old military truck waiting for them so they're loading all this money into three vehicles okay none of the officers in the first car that are pulling the communication cord that are yelling out the windows None of them know there's any type of raid going on. Right. They're just sitting there. Waiting. Because they can't see any of this going on, right? Right. Like it's way too far ahead of them now? Well, they're in their own self-contained car. Right. So they're just in there, and they're like, well, eventually the train will stop, and we'll tell someone that the rest of the train got <laughs> left behind and whatever. So they don't know anything until a window is smashed in. So one of them is, like, yelling to the others. He's announcing, we're being attacked. We're being attacked. Some of them try to lock the door to the hallway. There is a door to the hallway. And they try to barricade this door. Gang breaks in. Anyway, break down the door. They make the officers lay on the floor, and they empty the entire car. All the money. <laughs> the second car has over $2 million in small bills. And that's important. Later. It has small bills. It's mostly like one pound and five pound notes. Okay. 
So two million in small bills, much of which is being taken out of circulation. It's expired. They're gonna take it. It's on the train because it's going to like an official place to be burned. Okay. So furnaces. is it even usable any anymore at this point? I mean, I guess. Okay. So, like, they still had reason to take it? Like, it's not like they were going to take it and then try to use it and then it's just worthless? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, two unarmed guards. Unarmed guards. Unarmed. They're... Writing that. They're... <laughs> you don't have to write that. I'm just <laughs> emphasizing. Why do you have over two million in money, yeah. in cash, and you're like, okay, let's have two guys guard it? What sh- What protection should we give them? None. So you think they're just going to have been well? And, let's slow down. All right, I'll slow down. I'll we'll slow get back down. to that. I'll, all right, all right. Um, I'm writing. <laughs> besides these two guys, there's only a sealed door to the outside of the train. There is no like door into a hallway for this car. So the only way in is a sealed door to the side of the train. Mm-hmm. The gang hacks the door open. They overwhelm the two guards. They take over a hundred bags of money from this car. All of the workers are piled into the first car and they're told not to leave for half an hour. As soon as the gang walks away, a worker pulls the alarm. He's like, no. Yeah. I'm not waiting 30 minutes. It only took the gang 15 minutes to collect all the money, pile into the vehicles, and escape. 15 minutes after the train stopped okay. at the second place. Now we're going back to those other 10 cars that were left behind. Yeah. A staff member in one of the last cars eventually is like, okay, what's the delay about? What are we doing here? So they get off the train because they're going to go up to the engine and be like, what's going on? Gets off the train. There's no engine. <laughs> so they're like, uh okay so they rush to the closest train station and they report that there was definitely foul play because they got left behind and the train cars with the money are gone so alarms go off through cheddington which is this small town town, near sears crossing and before this britain was like very prideful of how secure their railroads were (laughs) they're like oh we are the best we are too good no one can rob us and no one has ever robbed us and so their guards very well (laughs) right there's never been a major robbery there's never been this much money stolen so this high organization level of this crime it amazes people. People are in awe at this. Making up things in their imagination. You know, like the media like gets a hold of right, it. Yeah, and of they're course. like, oh, this is amazing. Soon people are like making things up like it's a Hollywood script. You know, they're like, these guys are so cool. <laughs> so now they're glamorizing them. Yeah, yeah. They, they love these guys. <laughs> the public is like, these guys are remarkable the amount of money they stole yeah and the, so they're just more impressed rather than right the police are like this is we got to do something and the right. public is like well 
<laughs> well, isn't let's it kind of this. amazing what they did, though? Yeah, they're like, let's look at this for a minute. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, stories are spreading of this professional gang led by one mastermind. And the crime is named the Great Train Robbery. And people are labeling it as a British Western. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Seems, seems fitting. So people love this. Yeah. This is the most exciting thing to ever happen. I hope well, they make it into a movie. Not a, they did. They did? They did. Oh. They made various movies. <laughs> the Postmaster General was on vacation in Spain. <laughs> and he gets a call. And they're like, hey, we have a problem. You need to come <laughs> back early. So he comes back early. He's met upon arrival. He's getting off the plane. And reporters are rushing him. And he announces that there were supposed to be three high security trains running the night of the crime. None of them were. Oh. So this fuels rumors, obviously, that the high security trains were tampered with and that this was an inside job led by someone from the post office. Yeah, that was where my mind was going to. I know, yeah. <laughs> I know that's what you were thinking. So, because of this, every member of the post office working on the train that night was investigated. Yeah. This was done by the post office investigation branch. And this team was also responsible for helping find the culprits, quieting rumors, and letting the banks know how much money had been lost. So this is the post office's, basically, their own FBI. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. Police are going door to door. They're asking everyone if they knew anything. Nobody no one knows anything. anything. They follow mostly useless leads. They take them to nothing. They don't find the money. They don't find the suspects. Public interest is only fueled by the reward that's offered of 260,000. 260,000 pounds. Countless tips are sent in following this <laughs> offer for a reward. The most important tip comes from John Maris, a farmer in Leatherslade. Leather Slade. A farmer in Leather Slade. <laughs> farmer in where? <laughs> Leather Slade. Oh, okay. Yeah. He reports an odd amount of movement at the farmhouse be beside his, where he didn't usually see so many cars coming and going. He first became suspicious after hearing that a group had rented the property and had offered much more than the asking price, and they had rented it in a hurry. Ooh, that seems seems like a good lead to follow. Even weirder. Ooh, I just got chilled. <laughs> and it's not just because it's cold in here. Even further, they didn't seem to be doing any farm work, even though it was a large farm. A farmhouse. And the windows had been blacked out. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's not that's not suspicious whatsoever. Who's <laughs> <laughs> gonna pass by that and be like, yeah, must be good old Jim and Carol just yeah, you know, just hibernating the, for the season. Just the huge going yeah. on over here in Leather Slade. <laughs> so, please go to investigate. They're like, I don't think this is anything. 
They didn't for take some it. reason. What? Police go to investigate. They find 20 empty mailbags next to a hand dug hole and a shovel. What was on the property? Okay, what's the hole for? That's a good question. Hole's empty. Okay. But it was hand dug. How deep? I don't I don't know. I'm how just, you know, like was. Interesting. Okay. Normal hole depth. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, like a hand depth size. Like, I'm just curious, you know, you know, this really gauges how much time they were spending, you know, like <laughs> digging this hole. I wish I knew the answer for the depth, but Dang. I don't. It doesn't. Dang. It didn't tell me that anyway. Okay. The getaway vehicles are found on the property. You know, okay. the two yeah. Range Rovers the and Range the, Rovers military the military truck. Yeah. They're there. Okay. And they're covered up by tops. So, <laughs> inside the house, they find traces that the 15 men were staying there. Some of the men had been smart. They had wiped away their fingerprints. A lot of the men hadn't been so smart. Good. So, the police find plenty of fingerprints on a ketchup bottle, specifically, and on a Monopoly board. Those are the... <laughs> Those are the two main surfaces. That's, that's actually hilarious that it's a Monopoly board that's going to get them caught. Right. And from this Monopoly board, they discover also that the men had been playing Monopoly with the money they had stolen. <laughs> okay. I'm, okay. I know, like, you know, they did a bad thing, but I'm starting to like them more. They're pretty cool. <laughs> they seem like... They seem like cool people. I get why the people loved them. Yeah, you know, they were sensationalized for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> On top of this, behind the house, a pit had been dug and filled with clay. And bags marked National Provincial Bank, which was one of the banks that was transporting money on the night of the crime, were scattered around the house. So... As if we needed further confirmation that yeah. this was their hideout. We have more. What further confirms that they were staying there is that when they were getting off of the train, they gave those orders to the train workers. Wait 30 minutes yeah. before getting off the train. So police are like, well, obviously then they're within 30 minutes of the stop. Yeah. This farm is... 30 minutes away. <laughs> Jeez, they didn't even give themselves like a little breathing time, nothing. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> they were confident, I like that. They were. So, the gang left the house so messy. There are meals that are half eaten left on the table. They had left in such a hurry because they were growing more and more paranoid. A low-flying military aircraft kept passing by over the farm. That freaked them out. Yeah. Because they were like, it's definitely searching for us. And they know we're here. It wasn't searching for us. It wasn't, yeah. I was going to say. The plane was on test runs <laughs> over the farm. It okay. was just a coincidence. But it freaked them out, and they ran. They fled. They planned to stay at this farm for a couple weeks and just lay low, let things kind of blow over until they could, like, leave. They didn't do that. They split the money at the farm and they left. So that was all the traffic that this neighbor saw that he was suspicious of. Oh, okay. Was them leaving, going in and out. So within a week, 
the first arrest is made in Bournemouth. Police track down Roger Cordry, and tips flowed in over the following two weeks and led to the quick arrest of 12 of the other men. All of them were on trial by the following January. Okay. So it happened in August. They're hurrying this up, and they're putting them on trial by January. The judge at this trial encourages the jury to ignore the media sensation that the men's robbery had caused, saying, quote, Let us clear out of the way any romantic notions of daredevilry. This is nothing less than a sordid crime of violence inspired by vast greed, end quote. Yeah. The jury convicts the men of various charges. Uh, Some of them are robbery, conspiracy, obstruction of justice. The highest sentencing of the group is 30 years. Some of the men were able to get their sentences down to around 14 years with plea deals. Three of the 15 men evaded capture for a couple more years. Within the next five years, all of them were caught. They were Bruce Reynolds, Ronald Edwards, also known as Buster, and James White. So here is the list of the men that were caught right away. Gordon Goody, Charlie Wilson, Roy James, John Daly, Roger Cordry, Jimmy White, Bob Welch, Tommy Wisby, Jim Hussey, Ronnie Biggs, and Harry Smith. There was also allegedly a 16th man involved in the crime. He has never been caught or officially named. And none of those other 15 gave him up? Nope. Hmm. The lips are sealed. Now, was the person who was like like the head of all of these guys, like was he caught or was that suspected to be the 16th man? Well, that's the thing is everyone, especially the police, are painting this whole crime as a group crime organized by one mastermind. Right. We find out later there were kind of three main guys, but there really was no mastermind of this whole thing. The 16th man that they're talking about is largely believed to have been the one who hit the conductor on the head with the crowbar. Okay. Because none of the other men ever admitted to being the one who hit him because they didn't want to also be charged with assault right and they have never named any of the others as the one who hit jack mills the conductor so let me ask you are any of these men like inside workers like did any of them work for the post office at all uh there was i believe one who like worked for the post office but it wasn't like a notable enough connection okay so how did they know that there was going to be this much money transported? Like, what was... I'm assuming it wasn't made just, like, public information that they were going to be transporting, you know, no. $2 million. No, I'm not totally sure on that. I think I do talk about later that someone, like, tipped them off. Okay. And that was, you know, the person who worked for the post office who was in the gang, supposedly, I think, was the okay. one who tipped okay. them off and was like, they... Right. But yeah. So there are multiple theories for who this 16th man could have been. So I didn't find a lot of very prominent theories or very supported theories. But let's look through some of them. (laughs) Turning the page. (laughs) 
More notes. Taking lots of notes here. All right, so we have Danny Pembroke. He was known as a doting grandfather and devoted family man when he passed away in 2015. However, he was widely believed to have been involved in the Great Train robbery, particularly as the member of the gang that hit the train conductor, Jack Mills, over the head. Okay. The men who were caught have always refused, like I said, to admit who was the one to commit the assault but it's widely suspected that it was one of the men who was never identified. Scotland Yard once claimed to be certain, certain, they're 100%, that Pembroke was involved in the robbery. Immediately after the robbery, they were so suspicious of him that they questioned him and searched his home. His involvement could never be proven. I mean, I'm sure he's not gonna keep the crowbar. Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Like, what are they hoping to find? Right. After serving in the British Army, Pembroke began a life of crime at 20 years old. He was very close with Bob Welch and Tommy Wisby, both of whom were involved in the robbery. It's believed that Pembroke operated under the name Alf Thomas. His name was added to a list of possible names compiled by police commander George Hathrail. He got the names from criminal informants. All of the other men named on the list were the men that were convicted, proven to be involved. Mm-hmm. So this list is very seen as very reliable. So the fact that Danny Pembroke is on this list is like, okay, well, the rest were right. So, so most likely, yeah. Right. Pembroke was fingerprinted during the initial interview and was found not to be a match with any of the prints found in the farmhouse hideout. He even provided a hair sample that was compared with that found in sleeping bags at the farm. These tests also came back negative. Okay, but he could have just liked his prints and not slept in the sleeping bags. Like, if he was so willing to give up his hair, he probably knew, like, they're not going to find it there. Mm -hmm. One former criminal once claimed, quote, Danny got away with it because he was very clear and kept his gloves on the whole time they were at the farm, end quote. Makes sense. So this criminal wasn't involved in the robbery, but he knows Danny Pembroke. Okay. So he's like, he's too smart to be caught for this. After being released by police, Pembroke went to a small village with Bob Welch, who was involved in the robbery, and three other men. They were suspected of having hidden their shares of the money there. Locals became suspicious of the five-pound notes being used in pubs because the robbery was mostly of smaller bills. The gang members who were caught claimed the others weren't caught because they bribed police. Pembroke did not show any obvious signs of wealth following the robbery like Harry Smith, one of the men who was caught who bought 28 houses, a hotel, and a club with his share of the money. Wow, he was not shy about it at all. (laughs) (laughs) There is thought to be a reason for Pembroke's lack of wealth. On December 3rd, 1963, the same day another member of the gang was captured, an anonymous caller told police to go to a phone booth in Southwark. At this phone booth, police found 50,000 pounds of the money from the robbery. And 
Interesting. The money was suspected to be left as part of a deal with police done by Alf Thomas, who was supposedly Pembroke. Danny Pembroke. Commander Hathrail expressed his belief that, quote, he thought we knew more about him than we did, and thinking things were getting hot, he decided to get rid of the money to avoid being found in possession with it, end quote. I mean, it would be smart on his part, I suppose. But... It, it would be. Huh. Interesting. And all these other criminals that supposedly know him are painting him as a very smart, smart. kind of yeah. guy. Yeah, interesting. I guess it would make sense. And so he only had the 50000 left. I mean, I can't do math, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how much each member of the gang right. got, but after this, Pembroke moves away from his life of crime, and he moves to Kent, and he works there for years as a cab driver... He dies at 79 years old in 2015, leaving behind grandchildren who described him as so private that he never had a mobile phone or a bank account. He had supposedly never talked about the Great Train robbery. Never had a bank account. Interesting. You know. Guess he wouldn't need one. (laughs) (laughs) Guess he wouldn't need interest from a bank account. (laughs) A man who already has 100,000 accounts. Yeah. He wasn't. He wouldn't need them seeing like. You know, I'm sure they were keeping track of, like, the numbers that are on the bills and, like... Right. That would just give them away if you went to a bank. Mm-hmm. So, again, smart decision. You know. So, mm. Danny Pembroke, our buddy here, he is the biggest suspect to be member 16 of the gang with the most evidence to support the theory. Yeah. There are still some other names that have been thrown out there, though. Okay. Uh, for one, Billy Hill the top gangster in London in Um, the 1950s. His sons, however, have heavily denied this possibility. One of them claimed that Hill knew about the robbery but wasn't involved. Another known criminal from the era stated that if Billy Hill were involved, quote, no one would have been caught and the money would not have been recovered, end quote. Okay. So, so they're saying no. He's way too smart. This, Smarter this, than Pembroke. This crime was too messy to be anything yeah. that Hill organized. Could be involved in. Got it. Another man who's been named was Patrick McKenna. He was a mailman from Salford. Some believe he was the one to tell the gang about the amount of money on the train. There you go. Okay. An inside informant nicknamed the Ulsterman. Supposedly him. It's been suggested, though, that McKenna was wrongfully identified and that the Ulsterman could have been thought up by someone who misheard the name of one of the men's associates who had a similar surname. Okay. So they're saying, you know, the police have, for a time, operated on this belief that there was a man involved nicknamed the Ulsterman. But people are saying, well, that wasn't a real person. Mm, It was just one of the surnames. So, many of the top gangsters of the time have been vocal about their disapproval of these theories. They're all unconvinced that any of these men could have been involved in the Great Train robbery. Even Pembroke? Even Pembroke. I mean... I mean, there are some criminals who are like, yeah, Pembroke was involved. And those other men that I just named, um, Billy Hill... And Patrick McKenna, mm-hmm. everyone says no. It was neither of them. 
there's no way. Pembroke is a little more believable. That would that would be my guess. <laughs> that would be <laughs> my guess. If I had to pick someone, sure. If I was investigating this. <laughs> right. Too bad he passed away. <laughs> and was never uh, convicted. That's what always happens, isn't it? <laughs> so, let's go through then. And let's talk about all the other members of the gang who were caught. And let's yes. talk about where they ended up. It's okay. going to be like one of those movies where at the end, the end it's like, I love those parts. Of the Roy <laughs> went to Harvard and became a NASA scientist. And yeah. So let's start with Roy. Roy James. He is sentenced to 30 years. Okay. He is released in 1975 and he returns to racing. He was into racing before he was arrested. In 1993, he would shoot his father-in-law and beat his wife and was sentenced to six more years. He was released for a major surgery in 1997 and died almost immediately after. Okay. Due to complications. Eventful life that man led. (laughs) (laughs) Very exciting. All right. Bobby Welch is also sentenced to 30 years. He's released early in 1976. He is still alive. I believe. That's the other thing about most of these guys is their sentence, like the highest sentences are 30 years. I don't believe any of them serve the full 30 years. Full 30, okay. Douglas Goody, also known as Gordon, he was treated by police as the mastermind of the operation. Although, like we've said, there wasn't, there didn't really seem to be one. He receives 30 years, but he's released in 1975. He moved to Spain and ran his own beachfront bar until his death at 85 years old in 2016. You know, good for him. Good for him. You know, he turned it around. He served his time and he chose Spain. He did the crime, he did the time, and then he did Spain. (laughs) (laughs) And he had a beachfront bar, which, you know, that must really be the nice little cherry on top of a life crime it is (laughs) he was like well i stole that money but i lost it so i need to find a way to make more yeah and he was like why not spend it in spain which gotta respect his his choice there you You know know? hey i'm rooting for these guys (laughs) (laughs) james hussey he receives 30 years in prison but was released sooner he was sent back to prison in 1989 for drug trafficking with another one of the gang members tommy wisby who passed away in 2016. Roger Cordry was the first of the gang members to be released after serving 14 years in prison. He worked at his sister's florist business until he passed away. His son has since spoken up in the media about the Great Train Robbery, including a documentary on Britain's Channel 4. John Daly was acquitted and released and found his share of the money stolen and destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Following this, he gives up crime. He makes a life with his wife, raising three children in Cornwall. He worked as a street sweeper until 70 years old, never telling anyone about the robbery and becoming known by locals as Gentleman John and John the Gent. See, that's wholesome. Yeah. That's wholesome. Man turned it around. Like, I get why people like these guys. Yeah. I do. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, like, they were probably just really struggling with money. 
they saw a way out and they were like, you know, we got enough. We have enough friends. Right. Like, let's let's do it. We got 15, we got maybe 15, 16 maybe guys. Maybe 16 friends. I might have, I'm more impressed that they planned all this together. You know how hard it is to just plan to get all your friends to go out somewhere? Yeah. They, they, you know, I wish I, I had 15 reliable yeah. friends like this, <laughs> you know? And so I'll keep like. I have maybe eight. I, I've got maybe a good three or four <laughs> good friends that <laughs> right. I talk to regularly. <laughs> Jimmy White. He evades police for three years following the heist until he is finally caught in Kent. He serves 18 years in prison before passing away. Did he pass away in prison or did he was he released before? I believe he passes away in prison. Okay. Three of the men become the most infamous of the group, like I was talking about earlier. They are Bruce Reynolds, Ronald Edwards, and Ronnie Biggs. Ronnie Biggs was arrested after his fingerprints were found at the farm in Leather Slade. He was sentenced to 30 years, so he is caught right away. Okay. Bruce Reynolds, who was viewed as the mastermind of the heist, hid in a safe house in London for six months following the crime. He moved to Mexico, then Canada with his family. He snuck back to England and lived there for a time before finally being tracked down and arrested. In nine, what? Thoughts. If you're already in Mexico and Canada, why are you going back? I don't know. You he was, made it out. He's like, I miss the rainy, like, gray yeah, weather. it's just England, you know? It's gray. What are you missing? I miss having toast and beans for yeah. breakfast. <laughs> I just don't get it. Especially if he's supposed to be the mastermind. You'd think right. he'd be smarter than to go back to where he committed the crime. You know? But sorry, continue. Whatever. <laughs> In 1969, he is sentenced to 25 years, but he was released in 1978. He went back to jail for drug charges in the 80s, and he passes away in 2013 at 81 years old. Ronald Edwards fled to Mexico immediately following the robbery where he stayed with Bruce Reynolds. He ran out of money very quickly and gave himself up in 1966. He was released from prison in 1975 and returned to his original job as a florist. He would pass away at the age of 63 after a long battle with alcoholism and depression. See, that one's sad, man. Just yeah. He just went broke again. He was like, well, I guess I'll get a free meal in prison. <laughs> I guess so. Yep. does make you sad. It does. Some of these... Some of these you can really empathize with. <laughs> I, yeah, you can. He was just, he's just hungry. I like the guys. <laughs> By the time Reynolds and Edwards had given themselves up and been locked away, two of the other gang members had escaped from prison. Charles Wilson was oh. always considered a flight risk. These anxieties were confirmed in August of 1964 when he had friends break him out of the Winston Green prison. He fled to Canada and evaded capture for four years. He was finally arrested when Scotland Yard located him. After his release, he was shot and killed outside of his home in 1990 over what was allegedly a confrontation about drugs. Ronnie Biggs escaped from Wandsworth Prison after only 15 months. 
During some time allowed outside to exercise, he climbed over the 20-foot wall with three other inmates. The guards were prevented from stopping them by other inmates who got in the way while watching the escape. Oh, okay. Biggs and the other three escapees climbed into a red furniture van that was driven up the road to wait for them. They were gone by the time any guards could reach the escape spot. Ronnie Biggs escaped to Paris. There he got new identification papers and he had plastic surgery done to change (laughs) his appearance. Now that's some dedication. During his time in Paris, his wife and children visited him several times. They spent Christmas of 1965 in a fancy hotel in the center of the city. After that Christmas, Biggs flew under a fake name to Sydney, Australia. He would move to Adelaide after his mail was intercepted by police. The public and the media were romanticizing the Great Train robbery, to say the least. Wax figures of some of the gang members unveiled at Madame Tussauds in London (laughs) in 1965. And they immediately became popular. Oh my. Photo ops. Wow. In 1966. I gotta wonder what like the posing of these men were for these (laughs) Like. (laughs) Sitting. I don't know, bags of money in their I, I guess, you know, like, it's like when you go to the shore and you get those old-timey photos and they position you with the bags mm-hmm. of money up on the cat. Like, that's what I'm picturing right. for these men. That was probably it. In 1966, a three-part miniseries about the robbery was broadcast in Germany, and it became the highest-rated TV series in German history. A movie about the heist aired only months later on British television, Amongst the people, the gang members were viewed as modern-day Robin Hoods. Yeah. But they didn't give any money out to anyone else. They, you know what? <laughs> they gave the money to themselves. And they were the poor. But, then. you know, Robin Hood was about the people. And they were the people, too. Fair. Fair. Okay. All right. I'll allow it. <laughs> In 1967, Biggs was warned that police may be coming for him. So he moved with his family to Melbourne. Both he and his wife changed their names. In 1969, pictures of Biggs were published in a magazine story and were broadcast on Australian TV. Now, is this his plastic surgery pictures? Or yes. Is, okay. This is after he had changed his appearance. <laughs> I hope he gets more plastic surgery. It <laughs> just keeps going down. I hate to spoil your excitement, but he does not. Oh, man. Police find and raid his home in Melbourne. They arrest his wife, but they had missed him by a few hours. He had already run away. Without his wife? Wow. I hope she gets a divorce after that. (laughs) He spends the following months hiding out in different friends' homes before taking a boat to Panama and a plane to Rio de Janeiro in early 1970. He's just like, yep. Forget those kids. <laughs> Forget my wife. I'm Who going to Rio. Biggs would mention the possibility of giving himself up to police in 1973. He had brought it up years prior, but never actually went through with it. He was placed hmm. in jail in Rio in 1974, but was released and was not extradited. Was he arrested in Rio for 
the train robbery or for something completely unrelated? He multiple times people in South America are capturing him, kidnapping him, and giving him to police to be like, here's your guy. Extradite yeah. him back to the UK. And they just don't extradite him. And then there's like flaws in the arrest process. Yeah. And they have to release him because they messed up. Gotcha. Okay. Which is usually what happens, I assume. <laughs> so he moves around South America for many years. In 1985, he throws a party to celebrate his 20 year anniversary of being on the run. <laughs> <laughs> This guy is livid large. He is bold. He was featured in multiple movies and songs, including the Sex Pistols single, No One Is Innocent, A Punk Prayer. He sings the lead vocals on this song. (laughs) This song would rise to number six on the UK charts. He's not even hiding it. That is hilarious. Yep. Celebrities are meeting him. They're like, this guy's so cool. Wow. He's still like this media sensation. You know, whatever. So nobody died, correct, in the train? Nobody died. Um, so just it was Jack like Mills, the conductor, was hit over the head, and it's said that the injury was so severe it would affect him for years. While people are romanticizing Biggs when he's the last one on the run, he's not that bad. He just stole money. Critics are quick to point out, well, he could have been the one that hit yeah. Jack Mills over the head. And then when Jack Mills dies... People are quick to say, oh, well, he died because of the severe injury. That's not true. Okay. He died for other reasons, but it is said that he was affected for years after. Yeah, he very well could have been the one that hit him. He could have been, because no one ever gave right. the person up. An arrest warrant is finally issued <laughs> in 1991. It wasn't until 2001 that he would finally announce his return to the UK. He announced that he was going? He announced, because he's done <laughs> running. Oh, okay, so he's turning himself in. Yeah, he had been harshly affected by several strokes over the past 10 years. Okay. And so he, like, can't do it anymore. He can't stay on the run. So he receives an emergency passport, and he lands in the UK on May 7th. He's arrested immediately after more than 13,000 days on the run. During his time in prison, he was rushed to the hospital many times. He repeatedly requested parole on the basis of poor health, was repeatedly denied. Aww. Finally, on August 7th, 2009, the day before his 80th birthday, he becomes the last of the great train robbers to be released from prison. He served about a third of his sentence He would pass away in 2013 at the age of 84, ending his life as one of the most glamorized and adored criminals in history. So it looks like, to me, Biggs was the second longest survivor of the Great Train Robbery. Mm -hmm. Bringing us to the end of our story, most of the money was never recovered. I mean, ah, sounds like they were living it up going from country to country now why they would ever go back to the uk is beyond me because if i if i did that and i made it out to canada i would not be going back i'd be anywhere but there (laughs) you would never see me again i'd be chilling in canada yeah i'd be at the beachfront bar sipping out of a coconut you know (laughs) you would never see me in england again yeah so that is the other thing is like 
Biggs escapes prison after 15 months or whatever and goes on the run. And very shortly, I'd say, after he's on the run, all of the other gang members are being released from prison. So you have to wonder, was it worth it? Yeah. To run. To run. I mean... Because then he served a third of his sentence anyway. And in poor condition, too. When he could have just served his sentence originally, got out, and lived a life not on the run. Still could have got the name change and... You know, a nice life with his wife and kids. No, but he ditched his wife, got her arrested, and left his kids (laughs) to go to Rio. (laughs) Which, another thing is, it's amazing to me, is he ditches her and she gets arrested at that one point in Australia. Mm -hmm. She's released. She continues to go wherever he is to visit him. No. Throughout the rest of his time on the run. Wow. Even after he leaves her? Yes. Now that... That's some commitment there. That is... She's she dedicated. did not want to pay for a divorce. That's... <laughs> well, they definitely had the money to pay for the divorce. I mean, yeah, but would she get so any of I it? I guess no. she was like, I love him. And he's cool. And he's cool. <laughs> I mean... And he's the most popular criminal in history. Yeah, so... That is an interesting one. It's hard to, like, be like, no, they were terrible. Because, like... Right. The problem I get caught on is, of course, when they hit right. the portrait. No, connector. and who knows what could happen? Maybe they were all arguing, and then someone just, you know, like when you're in a movie, and one person just kind of goes off the rails, and everyone's like, "Dude, why would you do that?" Exactly. You know. You know. So all of those passengers, then, were they eventually rescued? How did they get off? Like, were they just passengers are fine? Another okay. train goes and picks them up or something. Okay. I don't know. It's so like who cares about them, you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean as long as they were all okay, you know, they right. might not have made it to work on time, but No, no, no. No, they were all fine, like nothing. Because then also the thing is, if they had taken the 10 other cars along with all the passengers and they had taken it to that bridge, that meeting spot, and they were unloading all this money, then they have an audience. Exactly. And then that can fight back. And then give their descriptions to the cops. Right. Everything like that. So, I mean, it's better better off for the crime that mm-hmm. they disconnected it. And, I mean, better off, maybe not better off for the people. I mean, I mean they were fine. Yeah, they were fine. They lived. They, they, yeah. So, That's it. I'd say, you know, <laughs> no Anti-heroes. Harm, Anti-heroes. No harm, little foul. <laughs> <laughs> right. Very little harm, a lot of foul. Yeah, okay. Like, legally, yes. <laughs> But <laughs> <laughs> if you're asking the police, sure. Sure, but you know, this in a time where I'm sure a lot of people were probably broke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to say you wouldn't do the same thing, you know. Yeah, I'm not saying I wouldn't do the same. You know, thing. like if I had the if I had 15 friends, all mental capacity to plan that all out, and yeah, yeah like you said, 15 friends. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know, guys. Hey, maybe after Burger King, we go rob, rob a train. What do you think? You know what? Let's go get, let's all get a Bacon King. <laughs> and then let's go rob this train. I'd be like, yeah, let's write out the blueprints on a napkin. Let's do it. Burger King's open till 2. See, so that we sit lines there up perfectly. Two, and so then we get an hour to get that's there. That's what I'm saying. You see, maybe they got Burger King beforehand, too. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> anyway. 
KUR True Crime is a student-produced show that researches multiple sources and is a production of Kutztown University Radio. Any theories presented are only theories and have not been proven as 100% factual. You can follow KUR True Crime on both Facebook and Instagram, and you can find all of our previous episodes on Spotify by searching Kutztown University Radio. You can also follow Kutztown University Radio on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Join us next time for another installment of KUR True Crime.